Good evening. This is Pamela, and you are listening to Watchmen on the Pod. I am going to begin to read the book that I wrote oh, almost 20 years ago. Um, now, as I had stated, I believe I did because I tried to do this and the dogs interrupt and everything. So if I repeat myself, please forgive me. But um, I uh, had wrote this, like I said, almost 20 years ago. And back then, I really believed in a pre-tribulation rapture. Since then, within just since 2017 it was, um, the Father started showing me through Scripture that that is not scriptural. There, there is no pre-tribulation rapture written within the Word of God. That was a man-made up doctrine first started with the Jesuits in order to take the eyes off of the papacy. And um, Darby ran with it, and then after Darby got a hold of it, Schofield did, and he's the one that popularized it. So there might be points in there that, you know, I, I'm, I talk about it. I am going to try to stop at that point and, you know, explain why I see things differently. But pretty much I'm going to read this word for word how I had written it back then. And I just thought that you would really enjoy it because Jesus is the Passover lamb. Praise God. He's the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. His blood is what cleanses us from our sins. And he came to save us from our sins. And <clears throat> when you do the the Lord's Supper uh, in Catholicism, they call it... Um, what do they call that? The Eucharist, I believe, communion. Well, we do not. We call it the Lord's Supper because it is the Lord's Supper. And that represents the Passover also because the bread that we break, which was his body, remember, and it was broken for us. We, we eat it, we consume it, and it gets inside of us just like the Passover lamb. In Exodus, they were to eat it, and they were to eat it, you know, with their shoes on, ready to go just in case it was time, you know, they had to go. And once we are born again, once we are saved, at all times we need to be prepared, always. We don't know when the Lord's coming, but also we don't know when it's our time to meet the Lord. So we got to always be sure that we are prepared and ready to go. Um, his blood um, represents the covenant, the new covenant, the new testament. And we know that without the death of the testator, there is no new covenant, right? No. And also the blood from the lamb was placed upon the doorpost and on above on the mantle, never on the foot or the crossing where you step over because you do not step on the blood of Jesus. You do not walk on the blood of Jesus. And with that blood, the death angel would pass over and the first Passover, and that's where, hence where you get the word Passover, he'd pass over. He would see the blood and he would go over. And it's the same with us today. They see the blood and they pass over. They can't cross the blood. They can't cross the blood. Praise God. And then also Egypt represents sin and um, Pharaoh represents the enemy, Satan himself. As God removed them out of the hand of Pharaoh and out of Egypt, he did the same thing with us when we are born again and we believe in Jesus. He removes us from the hand of the enemy and from sin, praise God. Why? 
Why, why celebrate the Passover? I'm not saying be legalistic. Absolutely not. You don't go back under bondage of the law. Jesus came. He fulfilled it. He, he fulfilled every single one of these feasts. These are not Jewish feasts. These are the feast of the Lord. And I like to celebrate it just to remember what Jesus did for me. Do I, do I do it to the letter? Like, you know, with the Levitical, uh, dietary laws and stuff. No, I'll be honest. I don't because I'm not, I'm not a Jew. I, I don't comprehend that. I don't understand all that stuff, you know, and then they have added so much. So if you begin to do a search, you know, online and stuff, you get things all mixed up because they have added man's tradition and uh, the Talmud and everything in all of this. I mean, you've got the Shabbat Passover. You've got the Seraphic Passover. I mean, it's like, oh, what do what? But God says, just celebrate it. Just celebrate it for what Jesus did for you. Because dietary laws are no more. Everything. What God has blessed, don't call unclean. You know, Peter learned that sitting on the rooftop. So we know what God has blessed, don't call unclean. And uh, so, yes, you could celebrate Passover. It is not heretical. I was called a heretic just today trying to do um, live online. And it was like, you know, Lord, maybe I'm not doing this right. I, I don't know. So I said, all right, this is what we're going to do. And this is what I believe the Lord wants us to do. So we're going to begin. Chapter 1. The last words of a dying man. Last words of a dying person are normally forgotten, but they expose the person's innermost thoughts and their priorities. The most famous man who ever lived said and did so much that Apostle John said that if it should all be written, then he himself supposed that the world itself could not contain the value of books that should be written. Go to John chapter 21. Now we're going to go back and forth because I love the scripture and you know, we, you, you got to have the scripture to back up the scripture. I mean, just, I, I, you know, if, if you have a problem with scripture, well then you seriously have a problem. Um, <laughs> so we're going to go to John chapter 21 and verse 25. And this is what it says. And what I'm doing is I have to actually go to the Bible. And I'm going to tell you why. I have it written in the book that I wrote. But back then, I did not know how to copy and paste. Had no idea. So every single scripture that I wrote in the book, I typed it out myself. And so I have made mistakes. I know that I have like omitted a word, added a word, didn't put the proper, you know. So it's best that I just go to Esword, read it from there, and then go back to the book, okay? John 21, 25. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. This is the man I am interested in. His name is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. We will take the journey to the cross beginning in the garden. And we are going to go to Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 32, brothers and sisters. All right, 14, starting at verse 32. And here we go. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. 
and he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I, while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed, and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forth a little, and fell on the ground, and prayed, that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth him sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye, and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh a third time, and saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. It is enough, the hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. And then let's go to Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 39. No, yeah, Luke 22. 22. Did I say starting at 39? Let me make sure. Yes, yeah, starting at 39. And here we go. And he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he arose from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping, for sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. You know, when we get sad, what is one of the first things you do when you become depressed? You sleep. You try to sleep life away because you don't know what else to do. Well, there it was, the disciples, they were sleeping. Now, the loss of blood and sweat would begin the first stages of dehydration. Note an angel appeared and strengthened him. This was the beginning of mental and physical anguish that would last for the for at least fifteen fifteen hours, guys. Sometime during the night hours, Jesus was arrested. We know that it was night because of the torches and lanterns that were used to go to the garden where Jesus spent most of his time. Also, we know that it was night because Judas, after receiving the sop, went out and it was night. 
And that's in John chapter 13, verse 30. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. John 18, 3. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now the trial begins, with trials, I should say, trials. There was more than one, brothers and sisters. There was more than one. Um, the other day, I think it was, well, it's been about, oh, about a month now, I guess. I really began to look into this, and I had no idea. But first, he was taken to Annas first, and then to Caiaphas, who was the high priest. Annas used to have been used to be the high priest, and he was the father-in-law to Caiaphas. So when he first went to Annas, they had questioned him, and then they took him from Annas to Caiaphas. So here we go. First John, not first John, but number one, John, chapter eighteen, twelve through fourteen. The band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Number two, John eighteen. 24. Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas the high priest. Now, there, I want to go to John 18, if we may. It's not in the book, but it doesn't have to be in the book because we just want to expound on this and see. So we got John 18, and I want to show you something that God had showed me just not too long ago, it, I mean, it broke my heart. It really, really broke my heart. Okay, so go to Matthew, if you would. Matthew 26, 57, we're going to start with. And it says, And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him afar off unto the high priest's palace, and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and the elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus saith unto them, thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard him blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Now listen. 
Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? And the thing is, what God showed me as I went and I looked, and it was like it says, and buffeted him. What did that mean? I was not exactly positive. I know it meant being hit, right? That right there is where that they would beat a, a man guilty of blasphemy, guilty of a sin, and they would beat him with 39 lashings. They would not do it for 40. They would do it for 30. The reason they stopped, I mean, for 39. The reason they stopped at 39 was lest they killed him. So they would beat him with 40 stripes, save one, 39 stripes. That happened at Caiaphas. So Jesus was beaten there at the priest palace. And so it continues to go on. Now in John chapter 18, 28, it tells us, Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, Pilate's house. And it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Number four, Luke 23, 7 says, And as soon as he knew, Pilate, that he belonged under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. Number five, in Luke 23, 11, it says, And Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught, and mocked him, and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him again to Pilate. Jesus endured five illegal trials. During this time, he went without sleep, without water, without food, and he endured much cruelty, abuse, hatred, and intense beatings. This would have made the body to begin to go into shock due to the lack of water and also the horrible abuse. During his trials, he was beaten with many stripes. And I just told you right there, it shows us at Caiaphas, them being the Sanhedrin, they would have followed the law, would they have not have, and they had smote him. They had beaten him. And that was the um, 40 stripes, save one, 39 stripes. They beat him there. It didn't stop there, brothers and sisters. He goes on and he's beating two more times. Now, um, from the Illustrated Dictionary of the Bible on page 957, it says, Scourge, a whip used as a means of punishment. In the Old Testament, scourge is generally a word used that describes punishment either by man, 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 11, or by God, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 26. The Mosaic Law prescribed that a wicked person could be beaten with 40 blows. And that's in Deuteronomy chapter 25, 2 through 3. The whip used for this type of punishment consisted of a handle to which one or more leather cords or thongs were attached. Sometimes these cords were knotted or weighted with pieces of metal or bone to make the whip more effective as a flesh-cutting instrument. The prophet Isaiah had written about this in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. 
That is a picture right there of what happened in Caiaphas's presence with the Sanhedrin. Right there is the picture. Because what happened, it says, let's go back up. I don't want you to miss this, please. Let's not miss this. This is so important. Go back to Matthew. And what does it say, brothers and sisters? What does it say? Matthew twenty six sixty seven. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands. All right. That right there is the fulfillment of Isaiah. It is. Now, let's keep going. It's, I don't want to get sidetracked, but I want to, I want to make this as easy as I possibly can. But I want you to see it in Scripture. If you don't have Scripture, you have nothing. I'm sorry. It's all speculation then. you got to always have Scripture. All right. Jesus was beaten with this device. The one with, basically we call it a cat of nine tails. And then they placed a robe upon him and mocked him. Now that's when he had went to Pilate. But they plaited a crown of thorns and beat it into his head with a reed. After they were finished, they would remove the robe, which at that point would have been like a band-aid, which would have made the blood congeal. It would become thickened. It would become dried on the robe. And when they jerked it off by removing the robe, it would reopen his wounds, making them bleed all the more. They put three different robes upon Jesus that day. But we will get into that in a different chapter, okay? Also, they hit him in the face, spat upon him, and even pulled his beard out by the roots. The abuse he endured was so severe that he did not even look like a man by the time they were done. And we know that by Isaiah 52, verse 14, which states, As many were astounded at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Thank God there was mercy amongst the hate, for they had a man carry the cross bar for Jesus, which I believe was made out of cedar wood for its durability and strength, but also because this was the same wood used for the sacrifice of the red heifer. Now Luke twenty three twenty six tells us, And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. The soldiers had every right. It was their law that they could grab anybody and uh, make them do whatever they bid them to do, and they bid Simon to carry the cross beam for Jesus. This crossbar would have been about 75 to 100 pounds in weight. Now, stripped, exposing his open wounds, making them bleed once again all the more, he is thrown upon the ground, nailed to the cross with construction-grade spikes in both hands and one for his feet. The pictures we have of Jesus upon the cross do not show or even come close to portray what our Savior endured. The cross was to be the most excruciating and humiliating method of torture and death. Jesus did not have a loincloth on that day. Jesus, who despised the shame, endured his death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was naked upon that cross, as was the method of crucifixion. We do not like to think about such things, but to ignore it takes away from what Jesus did for us. Now, 
Now, I'm going to stop with the book just for a minute, and we are going to go and we're going to understand something. There has been so many people now saying that it was impossible for Jesus to have been crucified with the nails in the palm of his hands. They say that because there was, um, oh, this one doctor that had said that, um, from the Shroud of Turin, it shows that he was crucified in his wrist. No, he was not. No, he was not. No, he was not. And then they'll say, well, in the Greek, the wrist and the hand is basically the same in the Greek. Okay, I'll give you that. I don't have a problem with that. But then what about in Hebrew in the Old Testament where it speaks about in the palms of his hands and in his feet? So, I'm going to read you a couple of things so you can understand. They're always trying to change the word of God to make it not say what it says. And that's very important that you know that you can rely on the word of God because the word of God is sound. The word of God is truth. We don't need to go to science and then try to fit science into the Bible. No, science will back up the word of God. And see, so many people, especially in the day that we are living in, especially in the Internet of Things here that we have with so much at our fingertips, what they're doing is they go and they look and find things in the world and then they try to cram it into the Bible to make logic out of it. No, 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 no. You read the Word of God. You know the Word of God is true. And science will back it up. History will back it up. But it doesn't need it to back it up, but it will. Okay, so here we go. There's a popular debate. <clears throat> was, uh, was Jesus nailed through the palm of the wrist? Many believe it had to, be, had to have been the wrist. Okay, many do. I have heard it said that there is no Greek word for wrist. So one word means both palm and wrist. It is also argued that nailing through the palm wouldn't be strong enough to hold someone up on a cross. So it is likely that Jesus was nailed through the wrist and not the palm. Can we put this 2,000-year-old argument to rest? You bet we can. Is there evidence to prove wrist or palm one way or the other? The truth can always be found if you are willing to search for it. Now, first, a quick look about the crucifixion. Although used as a form of execution, the main purpose of crucifixion was not death, but the infliction of pain. Crucifixion was a favorite among the Romans. They were sadists, true examples of barbarians. You can possess infinite knowledge and technology, but the way you behave is what deems you barbaric or civilized. Knowing that inflicting pain is the primary goal, it is perfectly reasonable that a man would be nailed to a cross through his palms, as this will cause maximum damage damage and pain. Ropes at the wrist do the job of binding the man to the cross. The nails in the palms rip and tear the flesh. This creates a kind of yo-yo effect. Now, the nails tear at your palms, but don't rip straight through because you are tied with ropes when your hands are throbbing. Now, that's how this person had seen it, but we're going to find out a little bit more in detail by a doctor. So, let's go and... The Strong's Concordance. So we need to look and see exactly what are the actual words and stuff written. 
A Strong's Concordance is a must-have for any serious truth seeker. For those of you that don't know what a Strong's Concordance is, it is a book which lists every word in the Bible and gives you the meaning of the word and the language it was originally written. Old Testament words are in Hebrew or Chaldee. New Testament words are in the Greek. One minute, one minute. Okay, I'm sorry. My grandchildren are here tonight, and so I got my grandson. He's it's 12:15 at night, and he's like, you know, sometimes we don't know what time it is because there's no clock in our room. I said, well, it's time to go to bed. Okay, strong concordance. It tells you what the meaning of the original word is. Old Testament words are in Hebrew or Chaldee. Um, New Testament words are in the Greek. Like a dictionary, look up a word in the Bible. You will see in every you see every place in the Bible the word is mentioned. Find the scripture you are reading because there can be different contexts for the same word. Example, palm hand or palm tree. So you see there's two different words for palm, so you need to look it up and understand. You will get a number. The number will take you to the Greek New Testament or the Hebrew Old Testament. Then you find the number and here you will learn the original meaning of the word. So here we go. The following references are from the, uh, the Strong's Concordance, Old Testament in the book, let's see, Palms, Isaiah 49, 16. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Reference number 3709 equals calf from 3721. The hollow hand or palm, hollow, middle. 3721, kapha. A primitive root to curve, bow down. Hands, Ezekiel 21:14. So then, son of man, prophesy and strike your hands together. Reference, 3709 equals calf, refers to palms. New Testament, Matthew 26:67. And others smote him with the palms of their hands. Reference, number 4474 equals uh, fapizo, from a derivative of a prime uh, refo to slap smite with the palm of the hand compared to number 5180 which is tupto repeated blows palm mark 1465 and the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands number 4475 uh, rapacima from 4474 a slap strike with the palm of the hand smite with the hand Hands, John twenty twenty five. unless I see the nail marks in his hands and my finger where the nails were and put my finger where the nails were. And then Luke 24, 39, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Reference 54, 94 equals sheer through the idea of hollowness for grasping the hand. There is much to be learned. For the many Greek and Hebrew words, which reference palms and hands, even more than what I'm writing here. But I think it is clear that the Greeks and the Hebrews have a word clearly defined as palm of the hand. Just because there isn't a specific word translated as wrist doesn't mean there isn't a specific word meaning palm. The strong concordance leaves no doubt there is not a book by someone writing down what they think words mean. These are the transliterations of words from one language to another. Many people, even professed Christians, believe that settling this debate is not important, but it is important. It's important because it's taking away from the word of God. God means exactly what he says. There's there's no... Oh, he, 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 it's not a riddle. 
You know, it's it's not a riddle. He has written it to where we can understand it. And he says the palm of his hands. He means the palm of his hands. Now, let's keep going because it speaks about the Shroud of Turin. The Shroud of Turin, I do not believe with all of my heart. I mean, I, I would rather stake my life on it that it is not Jesus Christ's Shroud. It is not. It is not his burial cloth whatsoever. So, it is very important point. Let's see. Whatever is not the truth is a lie and every lie comes from the devil. When you know for a fact that Jesus was nailed through the palm and not the wrist, you won't be deceived by things like the shroud of Turin. It is possible that it is the burial cloth of someone, but there is not enough evidence to prove that it is not the burial cloth of Jesus. We know Jesus was nailed through the palms. The shroud shows nail marks at the wrist and the palms are intact. The shroud is all one piece from head to toe. John John 26 says, Then Simon Peter arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there. Strips, plural. As well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The napkin. And it was folded. Remember that. And it was separate from the linen. Why is the Bible so suspicious? I can't say that word. Specific. Specific. Why is it so specific? Explaining that a separate cloth was used to wrap Jesus' head. Unless this was important to know. God said he would protect us from the evil one. The devil. The father of lies. Do not be deceived by things of this world. The shroud of turn is not. Is not the burial cloth of Jesus. But look at what it has become, a holy relic, a shrine, an idol. People crying, weeping, kissing it, worshiping it even. That is not of God. No, it is not. It is not. You see, Thomas said, I will not believe unless I see it. I can stick my finger in the, you know, in the prince in the palm of his hands. And I can thrust my hand into his side. And then when he turned around and there was Jesus, he was like, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, you know, you believe because you have seen. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We do not need anything whatsoever to tell us that yes, Jesus did. It is called faith. And God is the one that gives us that faith in order to believe. It is a gift from God. When you search for God with all of your heart, he is going to reveal himself to you. He did not leave that little bit of um, shroud behind there in order to prove that Jesus died upon the cross. He did not do that. So those scriptures tell us that um, Jesus was crucified and the nails went into the palm of his hands. Now we're going to go a little bit further. And this is the one that I had read years ago. And it was like, oh my goodness, it's right there. And it is truth. It is truth. It is truth. Now it may be a little bit over your head. I'm not sure because it was a little bit over my head. I am not a doctor. You even know that I am not even a high school graduate. So all that I do know is what the father has taught me through his precious Holy Spirit. And this is what is written. Was Jesus nailed to the cross by the hands or by the wrist? This is medical doctor. All my life I have seen and read that Jesus was affixed to the cross by piercing his hands with nails. Nevertheless, in this latter decade, I have seen many pictures in which Jesus is depicted as being nailed to the cross through his wrist. I have heard also some weird scholars backing this nonsense. I am going to demonstrate this, this fault with three different arguments. A. Anatomically showing that the hand certainly can hold the weight of a person. 
B, anatomically and biblically showing they could not pierce Jesus' wrist because it would break one or more of his bones. And C, biblically only showing that the Bible says that it was Jesus' hands that was pierced. First argument. Those who say that Jesus was nailed through the wrist allege that a human body cannot be held to a cross by nailing its hands to it because the flesh would give way, the hand would rip, and the person would fall. This is a lie. Those who say such a thing never have seen the dissection of a human body. I have seen many times the hand being studied in cadavers by medical students. Hold on one minute because my grandson needs us something. Hold on one minute. Oh, I love him. God bless his heart. He wants to know if he can spray Cool Whip in his mouth. Isn't that funny? Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> All right. Those who say uh, such a thing never have seen the dissection of a human body. I have seen many times the hand being studied in cadavers by medical students. During their first year, they have to study anatomy. At that time, they have to dissect not only the hand, but also the whole body. The conjunctive tissue of the body of humans and animals is stronger than a rope. Tendons, transverse ligaments, and aponeurosis are conjunctive, conjunctive tissues. The hand is full of them, as you can see in the picture one and two. And I'm going to try to put these pictures down below in the video so you can see it. All these pictures are taken from the book An Atlas of Anatomy by J.C. Bolu, Grant, MCMB, CHB, and FRCS, Eden, Professor um, Emeritus of, Ad, of Anatomy in the University of Toronto, 4th edition, pictures number 57, 84, 92, and 98. And it shows us right here where the nerves are, the digital arteries, and all this other good stuff which I totally don't understand, but that's okay. I don't need to understand that. All right. It is not possible that tendons of a person's hand, transverse ligaments, and aponeurosis pierced by a nail give way to let the weight of the body rip the hand because conjunctive tissue is very strong. This would only happen in a rotten body, live not in a living man. This wouldn't happen even if the body of Christ was hung for only one hand, much less both. It is not true that Christ was pierced from the wrist. This lie was introduced into Christianity by its enemies, especially by the Russellites. You may think that your delicate hands would be ripped apart if they were hung. What you need to remember is that Christ's hands were carpenter hands. Today, you can get an idea about how strong Christ's hands were by looking at the hands of any 33-year-old carpenter who has been in building houses since he was a teenager. Second argument, according to the scripture, Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb who was going to be sacrificed. That is why he was killed the very same day that the Passover lamb was to be killed. Paul says so in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7. 
purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us praise God that's in first Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 and just a little note there he was writing to the Corinthians who were Gentiles they were not Jews and he is saying Christ is our Passover lamb is it wrong for a believer to celebrate Passover absolutely not it is not wrong it is highly recommended I believe all right in the ordinance of the Passover it is established that no bone must be broken in the lamb it was a shadow of what was going to happen later with Jesus to whom no bone was broken the Passover ordinance says as follows in one house shall it be eaten thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad aboard out of the house neither shall ye break a bone thereof and that's in exodus chapter 12 verse 46 they shall leave none of it unto the morning nor break any bone of it according to all the ordinances of the passover they shall keep it numbers chapter 9 verse 12 as we can see the right of the passover forbade breaking any bone of the lamb. That is why the Roman soldiers did not break Jesus' legs when they brought him down from the cross. God would not let them do so. <clears throat> and that's in John chapter 19, 32 through 36. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they broke not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith there came out blood and water and he that saw it bear record and his record is true and he knoweth that he saith true what he saith is true that ye might believe for these things were done that the scriptures should be fulfilled a bone of him shall not be broken and like i said that's john chapter 19 32 through 36 if any bone of jesus christ could not be broken then a nail could not have been driven through his wrist because then for sure his wrist bones would be broken the wrist has eight bones um, let's see if I can read these. Scaphoid, lunat, triquitrum, pisiforum, trapezium, trapezoid, capitate, and hemate. These bones are kept tightly together by ligaments in such a way that if you drive a nail through the wrist, you have to pierce and break some of them. Therefore, Jesus could not be nailed by the wrist, but by the palm of the hand. The five metacarpal bones which constricture the palm of the hand are separate from each other and thus a nail can be driven between two of them without breaking any. See picture number three and I'll put that in uh, the video down below. This means that the hand can be pierced by a nail without breaking a bone. But if the wrist is pierced by a nail, it necessarily will break one or more bones. The section of the wrist of the former picture is enlarged in the next picture so that you can see his possible soul. Like I said, I will put these pictures down below so you can see. Third argument. Above and beyond all of these anatomical arguments are the biblical arguments. In the Bible, it says several times that Jesus was pierced at his hands and his feet. 
It never, ever mentions the wrist. Why then are people trying to instill in us by means of pictures and conferences that Jesus was nailed at his wrist? What are they up to? Let's see what Jesus said when he showed himself to the apostles. John chapter 20, verse 25 through 27. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. That's John chapter 20, verse 25 through 27. As we could see in this passage, Thomas knew that Jesus' hands were pierced, not his wrist. He expected a hole in his hands, not in his wrist. When Jesus came to them a second time, he showed Thomas his hands, not his wrist. It is evident that it was his hands that were pierced by the nails, not his wrist. The same thing can be noticed in other passages. Let us see them. John twenty twenty. And when he had said, he shewed unto them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Luke twenty four thirty eight through 40 And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bone, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. That was Luke chapter 24, 38 through 40. In these two passages, we see that for the purpose of identifying himself, Jesus showed them his hands and his feet, not his wrists and his feet. If we go to the prophecies of the Old Testament, we will also see that when foretelling what Jesus was going to go through, they talked about his hands, not about his wrists. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. That's Psalm chapter 22, verse 16. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. And that's in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6. There is not the slightest doubt that Jesus was pierced through his hands and not his wrists, like some weird scholars now want us to believe. Nevertheless, I will not be surprised if one of these days some weird scholar declares that Jesus was nailed to the cross by his ankles and not by his feet. There are now some questionable scholars that are trying to convince Christians that in ancient times people never did make a difference between hands and wrists in order to justify that Jesus was nailed by the wrist. This is false. In ancient times, they made a difference between hands and wrists. Both Latin and Greek have a word for wrist. In Latin, it was carpus, and in Greek, it was pronounced very similar, but written. I can't say that. That's, 
it was pronounced very similar to carpus but it was written in a different way i can't pronounce that i'm sorry i can't speak greek but what these dubious scholars say is not true that is so important i needed to interject put that in there stop the reading of the book in order to show you they are trying to change the truth they are trying to take away from it and then what you know and the thing is if if you fall into the snare of the devil how are you going to believe anything the word of god says you understand what i'm saying because if it says his hands and his feet god meant his hands and his feet and it was prophesied his hands there was going to be piercing in his hands. It says it in the book of Psalms. It tells us in Zechariah. It tells us exactly where he was going to be pierced. But if you begin to start believing what they're saying, and they're saying, oh, it doesn't mean hands, it means wrists, well, then you're going to begin to doubt all of the Bible. And you know what? The Bible is your weapon. It's the word of God. That is your weapon. It's your helmet of salvation. It's your breastplate of righteousness. It's your belt of truth. Your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You have a shield of faith and a sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. People, if you begin to doubt the word of God and take man's word for what they say and not take what the word of God says, you're in all kinds of mess there. You're in all kinds of mess. So I wanted to interject there and to show you that <clears throat> the crucifixion was real and it was exactly as the word of God says he did not have a loincloth on he did not you know crucifixion that's where we get the word excruciating from because it was the most torturous thing but also it was a humiliating experience and he hung up there naked how humiliating is that the shame oh my goodness the shame but see our sin is what put him up there and see when we are not covered by the blood or washed by the blood of jesus we are what blind and naked are we not we're naked we need to be clothed well jesus hung upon that tree naked for all to see and that was to persuade others not to you know have the same offense or do the same offense so anyway let's go back to the book now i just needed to get that out there because i want you to see and understand it was by his palms that he hung upon the cross a rope was not even needed to keep him up there as the doctor explained and told us the ligaments the tissues inside is so strong wrong in a living man they're not rotten in a living man they would have held him up just fine but because of all the bones that are tightly knit in the wrists his wrist bones would have been broken as they slammed the nail into that but no bone was broken so here they are they're trying to prove that the shroud of turin is the shroud of jesus which it is not because on the shroud of turin it shows a man that was pierced in his wrist but you must understand the word of god is true you know let man be a liar but god is true god is absolute true all right, so let's keep going here. Now, uh, let's see, where did I leave off? Okay, it would be very difficult for anyone upon the cross to be able to breathe. They would be able to inhale 
breathe in air easily, but to exhale, they would have to push up on the nail in their feet, which would cause pain unimaginable to Jesus all the more because the up and down motion would be rubbing open his open wounds on rough timber. This is the reason. See, we have crosses that we wear on our necks and our ears and all this other stuff, our earrings and yada, yada, yada. It was actually a horrible, rugged cross. I mean, it was it was, it was wood that was splintered. I mean, it wasn't all smooth and shiny and varnished and all that. No, it wasn't weather treated. It was a rough piece of timber. And here he is with his back open from being beaten the three times. And every time he needed to inhale, he could inhale easy. But to exhale, he had to raise himself up. Oh my goodness, we can't even imagine. From his feet which was nailed, and he had to lift himself up, which would rub on the back of his open wounds. I mean, I just, I can't even imagine. I just can't. So anyway, up and down motion would be rubbing his open wounds on rough timber. This is the reason they would break the legs of those who didn't die, because if they didn't die, well, then they would asphyxiate them by breaking their legs so they couldn't lift up anymore, and they would just smothered. They would just die. Um, it was a struggle to breathe and so painful. It was at this moment when Jesus, being overwhelmed with pain, grief, loneliness, exhaustion, and thirst, fought to speak his famous last words. But his actions upon the cross that day was what he preached for three and a half years, brothers and sisters. Jesus lived what he preached. And that day we will see our Savior live the gospel he preached preached even to his last breath. Number one, forgiveness. Father, forgive them. You can find that in Luke 23, 34. Salvation. Today you will be with me in paradise. Luke 23, 43. Number three, keeping of the law. Dear woman, here is your son, John nineteen twenty six. Four, loneliness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew twenty seven forty six. Number five, suffering. I am thirsty. John chapter nineteen verse twenty eight. Triumph. It is finished. John nineteen verse thirty. And then number seven ultimate victory into your hands. I commit my spirit. Luke 23, 46. Jesus at this point was in such pain that we ourselves could not even begin to imagine. Then to think of the thirst, his tongue would cleave to his mouth from dehydration. He would be parched, pale with cold sweats, and instead of water, they offer him vinegar with gall to drink. Think of the position of the crosses that day. Jesus was not placed in the middle of the thieves by chance. We know now about the particulars of how the Romans recorded their gruesome details, and they placed Jesus on the middle cross, suggesting out of the three, he was the most worthy of death. It is said that often the criminals who were crucified would curse, yell words of rage at those executing them. 
They would curse anyone, including their own parents. Sometimes the executioners would even cut off the tongues of the criminals so the soldiers didn't have to listen to them. This is not the case on this ultimate Passover day. Jesus had words to say, but not of hatred, cursing, bitterness, or hate, but words of love and compassion and mercy to each one who would listen. Are you listening. And I'm going to end that there. I know that was a lot put in there, but that is just the beginning. That was chapter one. Next time I will continue with chapter two, but I wanted you to see and understand and know exactly what the Bible says is truth and science does back it up. But there is false scholars false teachers, you know, false doctrine that has come out and is taken away from the word of God. And they have added to, and you cannot accept what man says, except what the word of God says. The best Bible to go to, I still stand on it, is the KJV. I do believe that. And I read out of the complete Messianic Aleph Tov scriptures compiled by William Sanford. He used the KJV as his source. And then he goes and he goes to the original languages and stuff so we could understand the original names and um, of the people and places and stuff like that. So, but... I use that Bible because I really enjoy it a lot. I really do. You can understand a little bit more. It doesn't have the these and the thous and stuff like that, but it is KJV. Praise God. So I'm going to end that there. Until next time, brothers and sisters, please keep your eyes on Jesus and your nose in the book, not in what man is saying, but in the word of God and embed the word of God upon the tablets of your hearts so you will not sin against God or be deceived. Stand on that word. That word is your weapon. It's your defense tool right there. We, our weapons are not carnal. Remember, they're not. No, they're not. They're spiritual. Praise God. I love you all so very much. Till next time. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye.